Well, hello, everybody. This is Bob Pangrazy, and uh, we're so happy to bring uh, a couple of guests to you and get the PE huddle started and talking about virtual education and, and uh, the challenges that are out there. And we got a couple of teacher-friendly people here, just a couple of great teachers that I've really gotten to know and appreciate. Um, just so I do my duty to Gopher, because if it wasn't for Gopher, we wouldn't be here doing this. Uh, Gopher sponsors the huddle and strives to be teacher friendly and has a long history of offering products that support, support and promote PE. They've just released a new website that features all their teacher support materials in one place. You can access past huddles, webinars, virtual training sessions, and more at PD, as in professional development, pd.gophersport.com, and view all the new articles and podcast episodes each week at gophersport.com slash blog. Um, don't forget your professional development certificates are available for you at the end of this webcast. If you listen to the recorded version, you'll be emailed a certificate in a few days. You can also go to the PD website I mentioned above to download a personalized certificate. I know this is a tough time and I want you to know that uh, I appreciate Gopher being willing to do whatever they can to support uh, you teachers. Uh, and that starts from the top of the Gopher chain all the way down. And uh, it's, it's a wonderful company to work with. Uh, let me introduce my two guests because I've, I've really enjoyed them. They, they've got big smiles and they're good men. And when you can smile in tough times like this, that's good. Thomas Gilardi has been teaching elementary school physical education in New York City for over 15 years. He presents at conferences with a focus on instant activities, large class sizes and little or no equipment. He created a YouTube channel called Coach Gilardi Phys Ed Zone to support PE teachers. Ross Chakrian has taught physical education in Maryland for over 11 years and has been successful in securing local and national grants to bring a variety of technology into his program. Ross was recently recognized as a 2020 Shape America Mabel Lee Award winner, and he's presented at various state, regional, and national conferences also. So with that, let's get started. Welcome, gentlemen. Welcome. Glad uh, to be here. Out of way. Absolutely. You know, I'm no PE teacher. Hello, everybody. How are you? Well, you know, you got to get that response and you're ready to roll. All right, here we go. Um, just uh, let's start with you, Ross. Uh, give it, give us a little idea of your background and what you do and, and uh, how COVID has impacted you. Yeah, sure. Uh, first, thanks, Dr. Pangrazy and Gopher. Appreciate the opportunity to be on today. And um, a little bit about myself. My name is Ross Chakriam. Um, I grew up actually in the Long Island, New York City area. So Tom and I have that in common. Uh, both of my parents were actually physical education teachers themselves. So that was a pretty cool little way to grow up. And they were the ones that really instilled the love for movement in myself over the years. And when it came time to kind of choose my path for my career, I decided to kind of follow in their footsteps. Um, I attended Salisbury University here in Maryland for undergrad and then the University of Northern Iowa for my graduate master's degree. And that was really where I learned a lot about using technology to help enhance instruction and the power of relationships 
and how that's really at the center of everything that we need to do um, as teachers to work with our students to help them. So, great. there you go. Great. Tom, how about you? Yeah, I was born and raised in uh, Queens, New York, and I had I had two passions. I love being active and I love working with children. So I was kind of destined destined for PE. And so I got my undergrad at Manhattan College. Uh, I played Division One soccer there. So I was a Jasper in exercise science. And then from there, I went to Adelphi University to get my master's in um, physical education. And then from there, I just was very fortunate to be to have a uh, really talented and passionate physical education teachers with a ton of experience take me under their wing. You know, they kind of just saw something in me and I've learned a tremendous amount through the years. The biggest thing is that embrace being new. Don't be afraid to make mistakes, make all the mistakes in the, in, in the world, but learn from them and don't make them again. So I took that with me and I learned year after year and after 15 years, you kind of started to stop making some mistakes and you kind of figured out really how to be polished and teach at a very high level. Uh, I taught four years teaching adaptive physical education with kids with autism. And that's kind of how I learned to use technology because I had to really work it, work it well with them. And it just kind of prepared me for this really difficult situation we're in that I, I've been fortunate to have all that experience going into. Good, good. Well, you know, there's a, there's a, a saying that the first seven years of your teaching career, you take from everybody else and you don't give much to the profession because you're learning. And it takes about seven years to really start to understand teaching. Um, and then you start to give back to the profession. And by the way, these two fellows uh, we're listening to today are both givers. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's great. I always say, if you want to be somebody, hang around with somebody who is somebody. And that's the best way to learn is from people who are really gifted at what they do. Um, you know, I, I want to jump right into this, uh, all, all my friends out there listening, I want to jump right into this and show you a little bit of their work because they have uh, created videos and done some other things. And, and I want to put your mind at ease before you see these. If you look at a couple of these videos and you say to yourself immediately, see, I could never do that. You immediately have closed the door. And there are lots of ways to do things, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But, you know, these two fellas are helping us, and there are lots of other things, people out there who are willing to help us. So don't close off and think you can't do things um, in, until you really think about it. So, um, Tom, why don't we, or Ross, why don't we start with your videos first? Um, tell yep. us a little bit about your videos and then we'll take a look. Yeah, so you'll see a little kind of two minute clip here and within it, there's about three different video activities and ideas that you can use that you can also find on my YouTube channel. Um, and the links to that are in the handout session um, in the little sidebar there. So Michael, you can go ahead and roll it whenever you're ready, ma'am. All right, so this first activity is called Virtual Tag. And basically, I took some trail running videos off of YouTube, and I decided to kind of use that 
last spring when we were doing our virtual teaching asynchronously at my school. And basically the idea is that students are kind of either walking in place or jogging in place as they kind of go down this trail. And as I pop up, they're trying to dodge uh, my noodle and me as the tagger by moving in the opposite direction of wherever it happens to be. So right there, you have to kind of duck down. You kind of saw some of the other ones. Um, also have a lot of randomizers on my channel, my YouTube. Uh, in this little clip here, you see that I took two of them and embedded them into a Google slide. And during a lesson uh, where my students were kind of exploring direction, um, you can kind of see how I set it up for two videos to be playing um, kind of together here on this Google slide. And I often kind of ask my students to um, get involved. So I might say, hey, Johnny, would you mind kind of telling me when you want the spinner to stop? And whenever they do, I kind of stop it on my end and it tells them what direction and how many body parts they have to move in that direction. And then this last one is kind of an oldie but a goodie um, that can be used when you're in person. But it's a rhythmic movement activity, um, in particular for my youngest students um, learning jump rope skills. I found that when I was teaching them, they often tried to go really fast with that overhead turning motion. So to try to get them to slow down and use the counting to help them and the visuals kind of displayed on the projector as they were saying those uh, words and those numbers and the pattern out loud, it helped them a lot. So. Again, those are all on my YouTube channel for you to check out along with a lot of other resources for you there, so. Oh, that's great. Um, that, that's fun to look at. Uh, Thomas, I, tell us a little bit about what we're gonna see here. Yeah, please. Uh, the first is gonna be my YouTube channel uh, trailer that I put together that really gives you a real good sense of what my channel is all about. I have a PE at home series where I do all activities at home that have household equipment and I have a ton of videos like that. Then I have a great handful of videos where I just dance and you follow along uh, as well as best practices. And I try to make a video every other week. So it's the trailer and then the other, and then I, I'm gonna show you two PE at home activities right after. So go ahead, keep the trailer. So awesome, that's my trailer. I realized I was talking to myself for a moment there, but you can see I have a handful of PE at home challenges, challenges that have household equipment uh, that can be done in a small space. And then after that, I have about 20 to 30 super fun dance movements that 
children just follow along that will get them active and, and ready to go for any, any lesson you're doing, and, as well as best practices. So you can go ahead and shoot the second one, which has too many videos I can discuss as it's going. Uh, this is four spot exercise. I made four paper plates with numbers on them. Each number represents a different exercise. This is great for memory as well as fitness and following directions. I did a little voiceover of myself speaking. I called out the number every three to four seconds, and then I get them going. And you can you can change the exercises. I did running in place, jumping uh, jumping jacks, jumping side to side. As you can see, this is dancing in, in place. Make it fun, because if you make it fun, the children are gonna love it. Beautiful. Yeah, Beautiful. I apologize for breaking up. I, uh, I hit the unmute and then it kind of muted, but were you able to hear me as far as the trailer? Did, I, did you hear me speak out of that? Okay. Yeah, great. oh yeah. Yeah, we heard, oh yeah, did you see me? I was dancing around here, man, that music, and you had me moving, cowboy. So that's good. <laughs> I tell you, I put that trailer on before I make any video because it amps me up, I have to tell you. Yeah, <laughs> Well, Ross and I were amped. Uh, yep. Hey, uh, look, folks, these guys have done a lot of work that they're, they're willing to share with you on YouTube. We have a handout for you. If you look at your GoToWebinar control panel on your screen and go down about three quarters of the way, you'll see it says Handouts 1. And then there's a PDF there, and it's called the PE Huddle Resources. And that'll get you directed right into their stuff and uh, get you working with them. So um, I, I think that gets you anything else you guys want to say about that handout or anything before we go into a few questions? No, I think we're good. Good. You good, Tom? Yeah, yeah let's go ahead. Okay, yep. I'm just checking your sound, that's all. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, let, let's talk a little bit about videos because, you know, when, when I first saw the early stages of virtual education, and by the way, I wish when I started my career, you guys were around because I would have used some of your stuff. It's, it's good stuff. But you know, when I saw some of them, some were as boring as just somebody sitting in front of the camera and doing exercises over and over. And then they'd show that every period and that was their workout. Well, you know what, how many of you want to go to the same movie every night? Um, you know, kids' novelty is short and novelty is one of the greatest motivators you have with kids. So, uh, you know, these guys have put up a lot of resources for you and, and will get you started. Um, but, you know, speak to me a little bit about using yourself in your own videos rather than always showing somebody else. Yeah, I think um, it's more powerful that I found with my students when it can be you that they see when you're teaching either virtually, obviously, or even if you're live in person and you're doing some stuff with technology on a projector or a smart board, um, it just has a different feel to it. And it allows you as a teacher a lot of benefits too. So if you're up there and the students are seeing you, there's a connection that can be made there. The students are seeing, hey, my teacher is the one that's up there. It's not some random person that I have no connection to, I have no relationship with. And then when you're doing these activities, 
you as a teacher, at least when we're in person, you can kind of free yourself up then to go around and give feedback, right? And help students out or pull them off to the side. Maybe they're not having such a good day and kind of check in with them. Um, virtually, that's a little bit harder, um, but there's definitely power, I think, to seeing yourself in the video. Um, but having said that, there's nothing wrong with using what other people have already done um, and kind of seeing if you can take what others have created and kind of making it your own, right? So, I mean, you don't have to go crazy with it, but the ideas are out there. And I've always kind of found that the ideas, coming up with new ideas is the hardest part. But once it's out there, you can kind of take that and then just kind of insert yourself in that video. You don't have to go crazy with it, but, yeah, you know. yeah. It's, there's yeah. more power to it with your students that way. Yeah, Thomas? Yeah, no, Ross, I, I agree with you. And I think, you know, embrace being in front of the camera with your students because this is, this is not going anywhere right now. And you have to just adjust and look at it this way. If you, if you film yourself, you can look at yourself and self-assess. And if you don't like the way you look or you don't like the way you did things, you can easily pre-record and just do it again, do it again. You know, you don't... You have to realize that a lot of the teachers that are posting this on YouTube, it's not their first take. You know, sometimes I have to do seven or eight takes before I look and, and I <laughs> like what I see. Yes. You don't have to do that. You know, your your students can care less if you're not perfect and you make mistakes. Like Roar said a moment ago, they just want to see you. You know, and sometimes when I'm teaching live, I might fall down or, or do something silly. That's what they want. So embrace being on camera. Don't worry about it's only your kids. And like Ross said a moment ago, definitely reach out to Ross and myself and all the amazing phys ed teachers out there that are posting things. And don't reinvent the wheel, use them as well, but make sure that you're in the mix as well. Yeah, you, you know, um, balance is everything in life, isn't it? You know, mm -hmm. a little of both, little of both, little of you, maybe a little of someone helping you. Uh, Ross, you know, you uh, you made a comment to me when we were speaking earlier about uh, the concern if we just use others' videos all the time that we're going to outsource ourselves out of business. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so I, I do have that concern a little bit. And I know from seeing and hearing what other teachers have been doing, um, you know, that's that's a real thing that's happening right now. Unfortunately, some teachers are just kind of putting up one video and just kind of looping it over and over again. Some teachers are just kind of exclusively playing YouTube videos. And to me, that's not really teaching. So if your admin comes in and sees that's all you're doing, what kind of value are you bringing to the school when they're paying you X amount of dollars when they can have really a robot do that job, right? You're not connecting with your students in any way um, through that kind of methodology. You know, we are, at least I'm teaching all synchronously online right now. I do some video stuff in the beginning, maybe as our warm up or instant activity. But after that, it's, it's kind of me interacting with my kids and we're trying to do activities through the computer. And it's not easy. It's, it's definitely a challenge. But I think that there is something to be said for us still continuing to try and teach ourselves during this time and not just trying to play videos over and over again. You don't see a math teacher doing that. You don't see a science teacher doing that. You don't see a social studies teacher doing that. So, you know, we have to kind of hold ourselves to a pretty high standard, even in these times, I think. And we need to really make sure that we are doing something for the kids where we're actually teaching and not just playing, pressing play. 
Yeah, Thomas, um, you know, I think another issue that we talked about was the idea isn't just to go out there and search for videos to entertain your kids, but that they should supplement your curriculum and be tied into your teaching scheme. Do you want to talk to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I can I can only speak, you know, really of, of videos I've seen and the videos I produce. Like, yes, you have to have a purpose. Look at look at your curriculum. Look at think about the things you've done when this pandemic wasn't here. And what have you seen or done that you can kind of make a video of or at least something you can do in a small space? That's the key. Uh, and then um, the biggest thing for me when I try to create videos and I think of my curriculum, I will first look at, you know, look at where they are in their space, but look at what equipment do you normally use during your program? Basketball, soccer balls, you could easily come up with equipment at home to do that. What space do you use? You can create a tiny bit of space to create something. And then you're golden. The opportunities, are, the, the, the ideas are endless. If you have the creativity of just changing a few household items into equipment, and then looking at your curriculum, we're looking at the scope and sequence, and then just kind of put it together and, and stuff will get created. Um, I wanna give you both the chance to, to, to answer this. We had a question come in and, and I don't want you to go on long, okay? Because I know that if you go on long on this question, you're gonna lose everybody. But the question is, what do you guys use to make your videos? In other words, this person said they use Google Slides, but it's not smooth, et cetera. What do you guys use in a nutshell? Either of you, uh, Thomas, I'll let you go first on this one. Yeah, listen, keep it simple. No one cares if you have a top camera, you have to use your phone. Just get yourself on camera, say what you need to say, do what you have to say for your kids, that's it. I use an iPad. I place it against my counter. I have it facing me. That's it. Sometimes I'll play some music, but I keep it simple. I have my iPad. I have the equipment ready. I have the camera facing me, so I know exactly where I am on the camera. As far as editing, I use iMovie. Uh, listen, I was a little nervous about iMovie, but within 20 minutes of playing with it, you, you figure it out. So don't be afraid of iMovie, it's a basic thing. And iMovie iPad, it's been my golden nugget. Ross, how about you? Yeah, I've been pretty much the same. Tripod with my iPhone on it, um, where I can see, like Tom said, the flip view, so I can see myself in the frame, videotaping myself. Some of the stuff I do green screen stuff for, but I mean, there's not really a need for that. Um, like Tom said, I think just keep it simple as long as you have a pretty clean background behind you and the kids can easily kind of see you in contrast to that background, then I think you're golden and, you know, go from there, start, start yeah, simple. Yeah. And then as you get comfortable with it, maybe you kind of start taking little baby steps. Okay. What can I use now to kind of spice things up? But, um, iMovie is what I use for editing purposes as well for the most part. So yeah, we're pretty, yeah, we're pretty smart on that. Lighting is important, project your voice and, and then just, you know, watch yourself, see how you look on the camera and, Make the adjustments and, and you know, that's it. You, really. just have to, you just have to get over looking at yourself on video. You look like hell on video, okay? We all do it. And our voice sounds funny in uh, audio, okay? <laughs> Fine, we all agree to that. To yourself, you sound silly. 
to everybody else, you sound great. And you just need to get over that and not worry about picking every little thing you do or something's not right. They, they gave you such good advice. Now, you, you know, uh, Ross, uh, somewhere in there, because there was a question here, um, you did you did have a green screen screen going um, on the trail running, and Thomas monkeys around with uh, a green screen also. But let, look, that that's not where we should be when we're learning how to do these things. A green screen's pretty complicated. Um, I mean, you got to set it up. It takes a whole wall. You got wear the right colors, and you know there are lots of reasons. It, it's not the easiest thing. We're not going there. These guys have been doing this for a while and they, you know, they got bored. They needed a little novelty. So they said, well, go green screen. Okay, fine, guys. Good job. You went green screen. But hey, that doesn't have to be everybody, does it? When you, yeah, when you yeah. want those, I, Ross, I think you showed your jump rope one, which was, I'm sure, one of your first early ones you yeah. did. Straightforward, easy to follow. Thomas, mm -hmm. jumping back and forth on the spots and doing all your stuff. Simple, straightforward, iPhone. Come on, it, it, they were effective to me. And you know, uh, you notice Ross puts in some some uh, wording and that sort of thing. But first time around, you don't have to do all that. Go ahead, Thomas. No, I could not agree more. I mean, if you look at my uh, my YouTube channel and you look at my early videos, you can see I kind of just hit play and ran in front of it and sent my thing and ran over to it and pressed the button. I had no clue that, oh, I just used iMovie and edit that part out, you know, but you learn as you go. And the key is just do it. Just get out there, put yourself in front of the camera and you'll learn as you go and, the, and embrace not knowing like you didn't know anything when you were new as a teacher anyway. Yep. A journey starts with a single step. So as long it. as you're willing to take that single step, you know, there's there's no ceiling to where you can go from there. I think people are more concerned about how they look and how other teachers or other adults or anyone that happens to go on are going to think of them. Listen, it's not about ego. It's about teaching your kids. That's what you, why you got into this business. That's all you should care about. Doesn't matter how you look, you know. It's, it's be you. And couldn't, do what you couldn't do. agree more. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, any uh, any hints you guys would throw out, uh, Ross? Uh, let you start. Um, if if you were telling someone, okay, you, you want to get into the video. Here's a couple videos that have worked good for me. Uh, any types or kinds, you know rhythms or equipment or what What would you say yeah i would say just start simple with just yourself don't worry about getting crazy with equipment yet so like follow along dances those are easy to do and you don't have to make it super elaborate um you can play this the music over the speaker and the microphone from your device that you're recording on can pick that up pretty well as long as it's relatively close to where you're filming from and you know you can kind of just go from there and that's an easy instant activity that you can use at the beginning of the class for a warm-up, you can use that within a rhythms unit where students are following along with you. And then as you kind of get your feet with, with that stuff, maybe start to introduce, okay, well, here's some things we can do with equipment now as an activity. I mean, Tom's got great examples of all that kind of stuff for sure. Um, but start simple. And I would say the biggest thing is just kind of make sure that you have contrast between yourself and the background. If you blend into the background, 
your video is not going to be any good because then the kids can't see what you're doing. So think about that, you know, where you are, what your background looks like. That's important. Thomas, yeah, you want I, to add on? yeah, no, Ross, I couldn't agree more. I just think before you put yourself in front of that camera, don't, my, my biggest thing is don't try to wing anything. Have a real sense of what you want to say, what it is you want to do. All of my dances that I've done, the reason why it takes one or two takes is because I've been doing them all week with my students. And by the end of the week, I've done it 15, 20 times, I can film it. So definitely, if you're going to do any type of dance that has any type of choreograph, practice in advance for a while, and then do it. As far as the PE at home activities, I find they're all throughout YouTube. The biggest mistake I'm noticing is that people just, they talk too much. Um, and Keep it short. Listen, get 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 to the point. If it's going to be an act, a minute to win a video like the ones I've done, give them the title, tell them the skill, show them the equipment that's going to be used, and explain how to play very, very quickly. I can do all of my PE at home activities. It's been in a minute and a half tops explaining. Because other than that, you're going to lose them. And most of the skills that I show them on the PE at home activities are all things that they have previously learned or I have taught them on a different video or in person. So keep that in mind. You don't want to teach them a skill and then on the same video show something. It's, just, it's too much. You'll lose them. It's got to be quick and to the point. Thomas, I've supervised teachers in person with kids face to face for too many years to tell you. But the biggest thing you tell teachers is don't talk so much. And they'll get up there and they'll say, okay, well, today, here's what we're going to do. And they go on for two minutes and the frigging kids fall asleep on the floor. You, you got to be quiet. You know, you start with activity. And, and one of the things about you guys is you jump right in on your videos. But even when you're teaching in person, all that talking up front isn't good. If you want to talk, get them started in the activity, then come back around to it and talk because now they have something to relate it to. And we have a tendency yeah. to tell them everything up front. And after 15 seconds, they forget everything that you said after that. So okay. start with activity, come back around. I could not agree more. I cannot tell you how many student teachers I've had that feel uncomfortable being in front of the camera. You have to videotape yourself constantly. I would never be able to teach at this level had I not videotaped myself teaching all the time. And when you watch yourself and you see yourself talking too much, get your stopwatch and say, ooh, I spoke for a minute and a half for the intro. No, cut that in half. So you gotta videotape yourself to improve. And, and and that's how you get comfortable in front of the camera so you're able to do things like this, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, let, we've got some run-of-the-mill questions coming in here that aren't necessarily video-related, but are teaching-related. And, that, you know, we, we make people feel more understood when we deal with a couple of their questions. So what, what, how do you guys deal? Ross, I'll let you... Uh, bore in first here how do you get kids attention you know things such as getting them to turn on their camera or they're in the background jumping on the bed or the dog comes in and they're wrestling on the floor with the dog and and uh, or even just getting kids to you know with junior high and high school kids just getting them there to sign in it can be tough talk to me ross 
Yeah, I mean, everything that you just said is the reality, and I think anyone that's taught online since March at some point probably has experienced multiple things that you just mentioned, Dr. Pangrazy. So uh, I think the first thing is you have to give the kids a reason to want to show up, especially, obviously, during these times of online instruction. It is easier now than ever for them to ghost you and for you not to know where they are at any given point in time because all they have to do is just click of a button whether that's they're coming on or they're leaving right so if they have a reason to join in the first place because they're enjoying your class they're getting meaning out of your class they're finding it purposeful right that's then something that you can check off that box you don't have to worry about hounding that student or contacting home constantly hey so and so is absent today right give them a reason to want to show up in the first place i think that's a huge thing so in relation to the camera thing that's a tough one for sure and i know i've experienced that in my own teaching over the last few months since we've been live and it's mainly my older students so i teach k through five but fourth and fifth graders it's they're a little bit more hesitant to turn their cameras on um, sometimes they will if i ask them but i would say Little tricks that I've done along the way are, you know, in the beginning, I was just so so kind of focused on them showing their face because I think when we've done video conferencing as adults and things like this, we're so used to having, you know, sitting in front of our screen where we can see each other, right? But I think you have to realize that maybe students aren't as comfortable doing that. And it's okay maybe for them to not show their face. Can they have their camera on, maybe kind of pointing in a different direction or where they're just kind of showing you, you know, their thumb answer for a question that you may ask them to respond to, or maybe their camera is pointed down so you can only see like their knees to their feet of their space when they're doing an activity, right? I think a lot of my students, and I take my one of my fifth grade class in particular, 8.30 a.m. on Wednesday mornings, you know, it's tough to get them to want to be on camera. And I think, you know, that's the reality for a lot of people, you know, 8.30 first thing in the morning, winter time now on the East Coast, you know, it's tough to get out of bed and get going. So I think realizing that's okay, they're not showing their face on camera. If they turn it on, give them options. Hey, you can kind of just show me your activity space. You don't have to show me your face. Um, in relation to getting their attention, I use a lot of attention getters. Um, I have like a little kazoo thing that they know is their signal to come back to their computer if I need them so they can easily hear the directions. Um, just simple things that you would do in person, you can easily do online as well to get their attention. Um, if you can hear me, put your hands on your head. You can hear me, put your hands on your ears. If you're ready, give me a thumbs up. Um, just little things like that to check in with them. That has worked well, my younger students in particular. So those are a couple of things that I've I've kind of done. Great, great. Uh, I, I think you covered the waterfront, so I'm going to give you a different one, Tom. Um, uh, Thomas, um, talk a little bit about uh, homemade equipment and getting them to bring their equipment and and talking about it do do you use limited amounts of equipment tom i mean some people are say you know i've got all this equipment and they won't let us use it blah 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 because it's got talk to me about just the whole realm of equipment if you would thomas so equipment as far as like teaching in person and how they're limiting me there or working at home well you can take both so, so um in person, yes, it's, very, it's been a little difficult in that they, they're very concerned about germs and particularly in the beginning, uh, 
So we, I would do a ton of fitness activities and it really gave me the opportunity to teach kids how to do a squat and push-ups correctly. Because uh, in New York City, a lot of the times I only see them once a week. So I never really had that luxury to break down a fitness component because I had so much more I had to do in my curriculum. So I have these opportunities now, okay, break down a push-up, break down the proper way of doing a squat, break down the proper way. So that has been great. But now I'm slowly, my administration slowly letting me use equipment. So we're using soccer ball, working on uh, ball control. And if I catch any of them touching it with their hand, I'll just kind of say, stop, use a hand sanitizer. I have it by, by one of the benches and they just know to go there if they touch the ball. It's just kind of those routines you kind of create. And, you know, don't hide anything from your kids. Be real with them. I, I tell them, listen, we're in a situation right now where we have to be safe. And the only way we're going to be able to use this equipment is by using the sanitizer every time we touch it. And this is how it's going to be. This isn't going to be forever, but this is how it is for now. And they're so appreciative of you being honest with you that they'll pretty much do anything you want. And as far as being at home, you know, working in the city, you can say, okay, great, grab a jump rope, go grab a ball. Kids don't have ball. Not every kid has a ball. They just don't. And a jump rope? No. You can make believe you're jumping with your hands. As far as a ball, make a sock ball. I made over 20, 20 something videos with a pair of socks rolled up into a ball with numerous skills, overhand, underhand throw, soccer passing, you know, squeeze it, make it into a football and throw it like a football. You know, use your imagination, you know, and then think about your lesson, put two and two together, it can be done. Nice, nice. Uh, Ross, anything you want to add on? Yeah, I think for me, I've only been synchronizing online with my students. My, my favorite at-home piece of equipment has been a towel. Um, we've used it as a yoga balancing mat. We've used it as a target. And one thing in particular I love about towels is that you can fold them. It's built in differentiation. So they can stretch it out and make their towel as big as they want, right? A larger target area if they need that. You can fold it up in half to make it smaller, fold it again. So that has been a huge piece of pretty much every lesson that I've done, towels. And if you're someone that's teaching in a classroom and maybe you can't use um, any kind of equipment, just crumpling up paper. Paper's been my other go-to, right? You can do so much with just a piece of paper. Floor markers, they've become a poly spots now, pieces of paper, crumpling them up into different shapes, doing different things with them as an implement to manipulate. So, yeah. yeah no, Ross, you're right. And another one I forgot to mention that has been my go-to is a water bottle. Putting a little bit of water in a water bottle and flipping it and having it land upright is like a jumping up and down over this. And, you know, t you know, I can't tell you how many teachers are like, oh, I don't know how to do that. I'm not going to flip a water bottle to get the kid. Do it. It only took me maybe 25 minutes max to master it where I can do it like 10 times in a row. Just tell the, the students, hey, flip it, overhand throw. Flip it, overhand throw. You're getting them to work on your skill and they're having super fun by flipping it. So you're disguising what you want from them with the fun activity. So yeah. I, I, you know, water bottle, you know, I'm, I plan on doing a little bit of hockey for the next couple of weeks. I'm using a broomstick, you know, using it. I'm going to use a sock ball and I'm going to keep it simple, keep it simple and fun. 
Yeah, I, I mean, water bottles can be used as targets, throwing at a, empty ones with socks. Um, I, I mean, there's, yeah, there's good, good ideas, guys. Uh, let's put this teacher's um, uh, sense of guilt to bed here. She says, many teachers are sharing great videos on YouTube. I feel like I am cheating showing them to my class. Is this cheating or being resourceful? This teacher sounds like she's going to confession or something, but uh, help us out here. <laughs> who, who wants to pin point that one and help this teacher feel a little better about using them? I think we covered it, but just say it. Hey, if it makes you feel any better, I'm doing it too. You know, okay. there's certain things I can't do and I give them kudos. I even say, hey, it's a colleague of mine doing this tremendous video. But Fair the enough. difference is, it's not every lesson and it's not the entire lesson. So involve yourself, but in include your, your, your internet friends. There's nothing wrong with that. I... Ross, um, about teaching, this, this teacher asked about teaching skills uh, while students are stuck at a desk in front of a wall. And, and goes on to say, well, you know, some kids have a place to go to practice and others do not. Do we jump ship on teaching skills and focus just on fitness, yoga, and rhythms? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, I mean, I can't speak to the, the in-person in front of a wall in terms of being in the classroom with them, but in terms of what I've done at home, I've kind of looked at the curriculum and my scope and sequence for this year, and I've kind of said to myself, okay, what is something I really want them to know by the end of this unit. And there's some things that you just can't get to, right? Like we're not gonna get to a lot of maybe striking with long-handed implement stuff this year. It might just not happen because of my student situations, their home situations. I mean, there's, there's so many factors there. I think knowing your students and knowing what their situations are is the first step to that. Um, seeing what you can realistically get done in your curriculum. I know for me, I've kind of went the route more so of concept-based lessons as opposed to skills-based lessons that I want students to kind of explore through different ways. So I give them some movement problems and there's often multiple solutions, divergent solutions to that movement problem that they, they can solve in their space at home as they're kind of exploring these different concepts. So I've focused a lot on standard two so far through all of this and that's worked pretty well. Um, for my students and my situation. All right, guys, I'm gonna throw out the big kahuna. I've answered it a hundred times on these PE huddles, but grading, assessment, blah, blah, blah. During this difficult time of COVID and teaching virtually, I'm gonna give you each a chance to, to tear into that. Who wants to go first? All right, Thomas. I mean, I can go, go first because, <laughs> because you know, I, I keep it very, very simple. My administration's been very uh, understanding that we're in this tough situation and that grading is not going to be the same way. Assessing kids cannot be the same way. And just to, listen, give it your best shot. Um, what has worked for me was, um, especially when I'm remotely, I would teach them the skill and then I would say, okay, this is the skill, practice it. Now go to my Google Classroom and I want you to do one of my PE at home challenges and then write down your best score or write down your best time, okay? And I want you to do it at least one time every day this week. And they have so much fun doing that 
that whole challenge, I find them doing maybe two, three times a day and they leave their score. And that's the simplest way to assess that they had more than 10 overhand throws where they hit the target. I know that they've mastered that skill. They can barely hit the target. And I know they couldn't. And that's where you can have that discussion too about maybe making the target closer or further away or work with them. But I find those quick minute to win it challenges as the end piece, something really enjoyable, something that they want to do, teach them the skill beforehand and then just get them to do that. And it's a quick, easy way to assess. Yeah, um, and, and that's assessment. Um, how do you grade? Is, and it, honestly, I grade, we have to grade them based on their skill. So what I've been, I've been fortunate when it's remotely, that they've been either taking a photograph or um, a small video of doing the exact challenge I showed them. And then based on that, I see if they're stepping with the right foot, drawing with the right hand, and we grade them with skill. And then as far as participation, when they leave their um, points or how many points they had, I know they participate. We're big on grading based on skill and participation. And when you're doing that in person, it's fairly easy because they're there and you just go, you do what you've been doing. Ross? Yeah, this is one of those kind of questions that I have a tug of war in my brain with even during regular times, to be honest with you. Um, having that balance of, yes, making things fun, but also having them be purposeful, right? So I, I still think our lessons should be purposeful even now if you're teaching virtually. Um, I think that starts with looking at your curriculum for your district, looking at our Shape America standards, you know, backwards design planning, realizing what's feasible in your students' situations and your situations, um, and kind of making objectives that you can work to assess in this current environment. And I know, you know, it's it's a tough one because you want to give grace to students and you want to be flexible in this time, and that's absolutely important. But I think we still need to have purpose in everything that we do. So with me kind of shifting what we've done maybe previously to this year to making it more cognitive based where they're exploring those concepts through different skills and through different movements. But that cognitive piece, it's easier to assess, I think, in the virtual environment that my students and I are in, as opposed to maybe trying to grade um, their skills during this time, because you know, they might be off camera, I might not be able to see them. Um, my, you know, we don't have access to Flipgrid in my district. They're not submitting videos or anything like that or taking pictures of themselves. So that's why I think another reason why, uh, you know, the concept-based approach that I've been taking has worked well in terms of students being able to show their learning and show their understanding through assessment. And that obviously lends itself to, to being able to grade, so. And that, that's really formative assessment. I mean, that's, that's yeah. seeing how they do. Let, let me just say a couple things on this. Because I, I speak to it every time, and I don't know whether I'm speaking to different people or people just aren't hearing me. It's one or the other. Um, Thomas, you said something that rang my bell. You said your principal understands. Aha, that's an aha moment right there, friends. If you're worried about grading, it's because you haven't talked about what you're doing in PE and your principal hasn't bought into PE being different than the academic side of our profession. We are a repetitive, do it over and over and over. And we can go on and on and on, but you never perfect anything in PE or sport. 
okay? I don't care how many times you practice a, a, a throwing skill, you're still gonna throw balls, not strikes every time. And you're gonna make mistakes because that's what makes it sport. And you have to have perfection in academia. Two plus two has to equal four. It can't equal five sometimes and three the other. And you have to sell your administrator on that. And I'm also gonna say to you that most of you in elementary school grade on attitude and participation. You can talk big to me about all the skills and all that and everything, but I've never known a PE teacher in elementary that had a kid that busted his tail trying to learn a skill that was there every day that gave you all the effort in the whole world, wanted to be really good. And at the end you said, well, you didn't get eight out of 10, so I'm failing you. I've never known a PE teacher that's done that. And if you are doing it, get out of the friggin' profession. And so quit asking so much about grading, but tell your, tell your principal and your administrator how you are different. And if you're going to concepts, then you're testing academics. If you're talking concepts, then a concept is usually an academic thought. And yes, you can grade on that. In other words, if they have to know that you throw using opposition, okay, but that's a knowledge concept. When it comes to physical skills, all of you end up grading on attitude and participation almost always with kids when they're small. Now, junior high, high school, a little bit different, but with elementary kids, it usually works that way. And we go on and on and on and on. Uh, uh, Ross, tell us a little bit more about your concept. Give me an yeah, idea so, of a concept problem. Yeah, so I might, you know, if we're, if we're exploring pathways, like I said, I use paper a lot. So I have my students kind of build a zigzag pathway on the floor that they can kind of map out. And then we kind of do some different animal movements, maybe over top of that pathway that they've created. Um, and I kind of ask them some questions along the way, you know, as they're exploring, when we come back, you know, what kind of turns do our zigzag pathways have? They have sharp turns. Um, and then at the end of class, I might kind of show them two pictures on the screen of two different lines. And I might say, hey, show me a number one if you think that this picture is a zigzag or show me a number two if you think it's not, you know, yes or no, thumbs up, thumbs down, a lot of like EPR type responses. Um, so just like concept stuff like that. And, you know, there's, there's movement that obviously is going on and they're exploring, right, their bodies and their skills through that movement as they are kind of learning and exploring these concepts at the same time, so. Right, but you're asking them to tell you something that they know cognitively, the difference between zigzag and a straight line, for example. So that's a cognitive thing, okay? Mm -hmm. And you're asking them to move with something they've already overlearned. They already know an animal movement, et cetera. I'm talking about skill performance, like catching a ball so many times. First of all, there's luck to it. You tell me to catch it 10 times in a row. Well, that's just luck because sooner or later, I'm going to drop one and, or try to make 10 baskets in a row. Well, you're going to miss one and you're never going to reach perfection. So those of you out there listening, you've got to make sure that if you're doing cognitive stuff, yes, you can grade on that. If you're doing skill development, you're probably going to work more on formative assessment that they have the right form 
but that they practice, how many times they practice. The number of repetitions is key to learning any kind of physical skill. I don't care whether it's playing the guitar or, or learning to throw a ball. It's got to be done over and over and over and over. So enough on that because we get into this every time and it always comes back to the same place, um, right where we are. Um, but um, but listen, well, that was fun watching you get fired up. So oh, good. well, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm Italian as they come, Thomas, and so are you. So you know how that works. Um, I, I, I'll never get tired of being excited about my profession. And, and one of the reasons I say that over and over is because if you tell teachers to be accountable for skill or fitness, then they put pressure on kids and kids can't do it because a whole lot of it is genetically controlled. Anywhere from 50 to 60%. So I want to be the most fit kid in the class, but if mom and dad didn't bless me, if my mom and dad sucked and then they had me, yeah. I'm out of luck. Yep. And I love kids. And I'm all for kids. And I want kids to leave there thinking, they can enjoy themselves even without perfection in anything. So yeah. let me pull it, let me pull this all together and give you guys a second here for uh, a closing word and bringing that kind of bringing us full circle. And I'll give you each a chance to give us your closing comments here, and then I'll have a few closing comments of my own. Thomas. Yes, first of all. I it is such an honor to be here and speak with the two of you. Um, the biggest thing that I've learned through this situation we've been, we have been in is, is to use the resources that are just free and available to everyone. Prior to this pandemic, I was using Twitter just to kind of take things here and there. Uh, I go on Facebook once in a while, but until this hit and I was like, okay, what am I going to do? The amount of material people have been just giving away on Facebook groups and on Twitter, like talented uh, suggestions on what to do in any situation with Cizette, and we're allowed to just grab it. And it just all you have to do is ask, hey, I love that document. Can you send it to me? And they'll send it to me. Listen, we're a community. So don't be afraid to get on Twitter, even if you're like, I don't want to do social media. Get an account. Click on a few people that are phys ed, see what they have, and just take, just take until you feel comfortable. It would be my thing. And, and what I've always been preaching, keep it simple, teach, be very direct, and have fun. If, if, if your students are not smiling from the beginning to the end, they're doing something wrong. They got to have fun because if they're not having fun, what are we doing, you know, really? Good words to end by Ross. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we can get into the content all day in terms of what we should be teaching and all that. Um, but use use the time that you have and don't put aside the importance of connection right now. And I think out of all of this, you know, you can have great lessons and that's fantastic. That's awesome. But the kids are going to remember from this experience how you made them feel, even through the computer. So Take the time, if a, student, if a student wants to come bring you something and show you on screen, like you're never gonna have this opportunity again where they can do that, right? Go with it, you know, let them share out 
these things that they want to say to you, um, even in the limited time that we have. And I know I only have either 30 minutes or 45 minutes, depending on the grade level each week with my kids, which is pretty much cut in half from what it normally is when we're in person together. But don't lose sight of those little things. Um, they mean a lot in the long run. And those are the things I think that our kids will remember. And when we are back in person, it'll serve to have for you have a better relationship with them because you took that time and you allowed them to kind of express themselves in that way. And you allowed that community to kind of build and that relationship to be fostered. So don't, don't minimize that, that's important. It's huge, it's huge. And you both, both of you guys, I, I'm so proud to know that there's people like you out there teaching kids and, and helping our profession. It, it, it's an honor to be with both of you. It, it really is. I'm, I'm proud of you. I thank you for what you do. Um, these are two master teachers you got to listen to today. And just let me close by changing topics because connection, keeping it simple, are they, they gave you great words to close up that part of the session. Let me talk about COVID fatigue for a minute because COVID is not going to stop and it's going to get worse and it's going to be worse after the first of the year because people don't listen about not getting together. Okay, they just don't. Um, so my, I titled this, Avoid Letting COVID Fatigue Beat You. If I say COVID fatigue, I bet most of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Are there days when you wake up thinking, I'm sick of worrying about COVID? I'm tired of reminding people to wear their masks. I wanna go out and eat and relax. I'm tired of worrying about everyone else when many people don't worry about me. And I could go on. We're just plain tired. And you know the saying from General George Patton, fatigue makes cowards of us all. He was talking about physical fatigue to his soldiers. But I think many of us are suffering from the emotional and psychological fatigue of protecting ourselves from an enemy we can't see. We are staying in the house, dealing with kids in their education 24 seven, and virtually teaching our students who are also suffering from COVID fatigue. There's little doubt that COVID has put us all on edge. Mental well-being is based on having a positive outlook and confidence in the future. Unfortunately, COVID has changed our behavior and it's created a new normal. Couple that with changing timelines about when we will be past the pandemic and it creates a lot of emotional stress. So much of what we read in the media is about what we can't do. And it makes us feel like life will never be the same again. How our communities are reacting is supported by research on how catastrophes are handled. The first stage is that everyone pulls together and there's lots of bonding and support for others. However, as things go on over time, this pulling toward a common goal is fractured by our personal difficulties and stress. Citizens lose their optimism and they begin to wonder when it will be over and how long they have to endure. Some even begin to decide, I'm gonna live my life as I want to regardless of how it affects others. Many believe that the peak of the pandemic was over in August, but here it is again at even higher levels. Like everything else in life, those who are able to use their coping skills will avoid the pitfall of COVID fatigue. You've all heard the best ways to cope, but let me remind you of what they are. 
And even if you know these coping behaviors, if you don't practice them, they're not going to work. Number one, exercise. It's clear that exercise is the best way. And I mean exercise with you alone. Exercise for you is the best way of coping with any form of stress. It releases endorphins and gets you focused on other positive issues. Walking outdoors each day for a short time, five to 10 minutes, will help you see that nature is alive and well, and we need to get in step with it. The birds and the animals aren't complaining, they're living their life. Discuss your frustration with COVID and flush it out with a friend if you need to. As with all emotional issues, if you don't talk about it, it becomes too big to hold in and you blow. The result is you spray your high emotion and frustration on others. Be mindful. Take a few minutes away from the hustle and the bustle of life and think about the moment, the hour, and the day. Live life one day at a time. If you only had one day of life left, would you waste it being pissed about COVID? Be grateful. Concentrate on what you have rather than what you don't have. Life itself is a gift. Appreciate it. Let other important others know how grateful you are that they were in your life. Connect with them. If you don't take time to practice your coping skills, COVID will start to win the battle. We teachers work in a field where practice is everything. We're a high-stress area. Each day, take a few minutes to exercise, be mindful and grateful, and tell others how you are coping. It will make a difference on your level of COVID COVID fatigue and improve your quality of life. I can't thank you all for being teachers. Can't thank you all for what you do for others. Go out there and get on with it. Hang in there. There's better days ahead, but these days aren't all that bad. Look at us. We enjoyed ourselves. We smiled. We laughed. We connected. You know, have some perspective. Just don't look at the things you don't have right now. Look at how much we all have. So to that, Thanks again, Tom and Ross, Thomas and Ross. You guys are the greatest. I appreciate you so much for what you do for others. Thanks again for taking so much of your time to share with other teachers. Talk to you soon, guys. Yes, Happy thank holidays. You. Me too. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.